Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. I have an outrageous story for you today and conversation with Gordon Boker. If you don't know his name, you will. He broke the record recently in a sailplane going farther than anybody ever has, although you'll hear why it wasn't a, a world record, the way they count things with declared distances and points and that kind of thing. But you'll hear about all that in the show. But I was sent an article sometime in late June about a gentleman who had flown for 17 hours, flew all night with night vision goggles in wave, chasing the big monster in a sailplane with a co-pilot uh, up and down the Sierras. And I thought, read the article and went, oh my God, I gotta get this guy on the show. So this is it. We've been trying to get together for the last couple months. Finally did, had an outrageous talk and a lot of fun with this. Gordon is a commercial pilot for FedEx, flies all over the world. He is awesome to follow on Instagram. You know, so check him out. It's G-R-B-O-E-T-T-G-E-R, Boatker. He's been flying his whole life, came out of the Navy. He's been flying sailplanes since he was a kid. And uh, these days just almost exclu exclusively chases wave. He chases the monster in the Sierras. So uh, we eventually, we talk about a lot of flying in his history and photography and a bunch of the stuff that he's really passionate about but eventually we get to his amazing flight stays up in the air like I said 17 hours flies all night does it with night vision goggles has a very very special sailplane there's only four of these in the world that was really built for exactly this kind of mission so he's way into it he is wild we had an outrageous time talking about this I think I've just said that now three times but it's the only way to describe it and <clears throat> one correction is uh, he mentions a few times IGC of course we all know what an IGC file is but what he was what he meant in that capacity was was the FAI so he's talking about you know how to submit records and and uh, governing body but that's all pretty obvious we were just uh, we were both having a little cocktail when we were recording this and we were so excited neither one of us caught it so enjoy this I'm not gonna say it again but crazy conversation with the with an, an exceptional pilot, Gordon Boker. Cheers. Gordon, uh, we've been chatting here for a bit, but welcome to the mayhem. And I'm really excited to talk about this insane flight you did. Uh, this came, I don't remember how this came over my, flew over my desk uh, one day in the last couple months i know this was june 19th when you did it but i read this the article and went my god i gotta talk to this guy and so we will we will get there but let's uh let's let's just tease our listeners here a little bit and get right. into i'd love to hear more about your your history i you know i know you fly big jets for fedex you've been doing that for a long time you mentioned you were in the navy to begin with but how did you get to this point where you can fly these sailplanes so well? Let's uh, and take your time, but let's let's get let's get us up to speed. Well, it all it all kind of started as as a kid. You know, my dad uh, he he and my mother immigrated from from Germany, and uh, back in the late uh, mid sixties, he was in the German Air Force out there. So he was always I got a very family oriented or uh, aviation oriented family. So my 
my father got me into it. He used to throw me in the backseat of these gliders down in the Mojave Desert when I was a kid. And, and um, I kind of took to it. And my mom worked for Flying Tigers at the time. And I used to be able to do some non-rev uh, flights sometimes in the cockpit. And I always thought, this is a pretty cool, pretty cool lifestyle. These guys are living all, you know, flying all over the world and just having a good time, making decent money, a lot of time off. And I go, I think this is something I might want to do. So you know, my dad introduced me to soaring at, at the age of 13. And I, I took to that down wow. in Southern California. There was actually a place down, along, uh, down in uh, Los Alamitos at the uh, military base that uh, had a soaring program. So I got involved with that at age 13 and then sold it on my 14th birthday. And then just was your dad you know, military? Yeah, he was in the German Air Force out there. And then he came out okay. here and, and got a job with McDonald Douglas as, as, a, as an engineer with yeah. um, Douglas. But he was a flight instructor and, you know, grew up doing a lot of surfing. So that was kind of my life. And, uh, I knew I had to, you know, eventually, you know, do something that's, uh, that was going to be a little more serious, but the, the glider stuff, I just got, I just got hooked on. And, uh, you know, just like in the paragliding world, you just, you know, you kind of, you know, what's, what's next. And, uh, so I soloed on my 14th birthday and then started getting into this cross country stuff in, in, uh, you know, Schweitzer 126 glider, which is kind of a low performance, you know, probably to 24 to one glide ratio type glider. But I started getting into the cross country thing as a kid. And then I started going out to the desert every single weekend. And that was my life. You know, every weekend I go out to the desert, sleep in my buddy's back, you know, on the back of his Toyota pickup truck. And we just fly gliders all weekend long and then drive back and get back to school Monday morning. So that was my life. And then uh, that helped me actually get into the military the flying background. I started with power at age 15 and solo on my 16th birthday with the power, power planes. But the, the engine stuff didn't, didn't intrigue me because it was, it was, you know, after flying gliders, it's pretty boring, you know, having a motor hanging out there. So, (laughs) so I kind of stuck with the glider stuff and and really started stretching my distances and going after these, these soaring badges, you know, that uh, Soaring Society of America has and um, started uh, acquiring all those. And then, and then I joined the military. Uh, So I, Joined the Navy, went off to Pensacola, flight training, two years of flight training, and then spent six years active duty flying off of uh, two different aircraft carriers and did my time and punched out of there and then got a job with FedEx at age uh, 28. And then uh, oh, I've been doing what, that. What, were you, what were you flying off the carriers? What were what was your E2 e- Hawkeyes. Okay. Uh, it's uh, basically a carrier-based uh, AWACS turboprop airplane. So... Yeah, I did my time there, and then uh, you know, and then did you enjoy it? You know, the flying part, of the the flying stuff on off the boat was really challenging. That part was fun, but I just didn't, I didn't enjoy life sitting on a, you know, sitting on a big gray thing with with mm. five thousand dudes, you know, for six months. That that got old. But you know, I mean, it was a stepping stone to get the airlines because they needed that flight time, and I didn't have the money to to pay for that myself in the civilian uh, world. So I had to. It's a great to, way to get you know, hours. Use dude. the military, and, you know. It's yeah, you serve your country, and you know that you know, all that kind of jazz. But that was good. And that was all good, and, and got my experience. I'm, I'm glad I did it. You know, it uh, you grow up pretty quickly doing it, and um, you know, it's funny looking back now. You see these kids that are that were my age, you know, 22 years old, flying off these boats. And you're going. Oh my God, these kids are letting these kids fly these airplanes off, off of carriers, you know? So I'm kind of, kind of aging myself. I'm like the old man now, but, uh, you know, the, the glider's st- not all top gun. It's not yeah, that that's exciting. Right. It's right. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not the Tom Cruise looking guy. That's for sure. But you know, it, it's funny during the Navy, uh, during my time in the Navy, I was still always 
you know, I still wanted to really get into the sailplane stuff, the distance stuff. And obviously, you know, with the family and all that, I just didn't have the time to do everything I wanted to do. So the glider stuff was kind of put on hold. And then it, uh, we've been up here in the Minden area for 21 or about just about 21 years now. So, so once we got back so was that, up here. Was that immediately post Navy? So you, has that been it was, yeah, it was about since? two years after, two years after I got out of the okay. Navy, I, I bailed oh, out okay. of San Diego. I was living down in San Diego and, um, you know, I was flying down to Warner Springs down in the, you know, uh, hills east of San Diego and, you know, the soaring's okay, but you can't really get out and do the big stuff like you can here. You know, it's not the big stuff, but, uh, once I moved up here, then I started getting really serious about doing, doing big wave flights. And that's what, you know, I knew I was always limited distance wise with thermal flights because we're you know, relying on the heating and, um, with mountain wave, it's just a whole different, whole different animal, you know, and, uh, it's super good here, both thermals and wave. I mean, was that, was the wave flying and I mean, because this is something really beyond the stretch that, you know, hang gliders can touch it, but the really, uh, you know, I, we have, I flew in wave in the Alps during the 2015 X Alps and, you know, it's pretty rowdy for us. You know, that's, that's just, that's a lot of, that's a lot of wind, but was this something that was early on? Was it on your radar from the 14 or was this something you slowly, I mean, it, it, you so know, you guys it, just it, in, in your world, this is what you guys do. Yeah, I mean, wave is uh, overall wave is very. Uh, it, it's it's not popular with most. I would say probably ninety percent of the, the sailplane pilots because they, they don't want to deal with the oh. elements. They don't want to deal with the winds. They don't want to deal with the cold, the icing, the freezing, and just the turbulence and all the other crazy stuff that goes along with it. I mean, there's a price to pay for these these distances. You got to be willing to to deal with that kind of. Uh, you know, to deal okay. with those risks. And I mean, they're, they're, yeah, the risks, the risks are, are, are there and then they're, and everything's kind of heightened and you got to be on your A game, but I think it can be safely done. But backing up to when it, when it all started, I started flying wave at probably age 15 and, and 16. I mean, really? when I was 16, I was like, I was, at, I think 16 or 17. I went up in the Owens Valley. I was up you know, above balloon pine at thirty four thousand feet. You know, sixteen year old kid. Wow! You know, no my ass way! Off. Yeah. yeah. Wow! So, it's so pretty these wild. Are not pressure. I talk no. talk about the. I mean, be, be, we got a long way to come up to where you are now. But even back then, <laughs> what what equipment? When you're sixteen, flying at thirty four grand, what what do you what equipment are you using? Are you just on bottled oxygen? Yeah, like you're just bottled. Like I mean, paragliding. Okay. Yeah, I mean, nowadays we have the EDS regulators, but back then you had um, you either had a constant flow system or you had a pressure man regulator. You know, the old military type A14 yep. regulator. And at the time, I had an A14 regulator, and you know, those drain you of O2 as well as you know the constant flow system. So back then, you know, I'm flying with an A14 regulator. No, you know, you're not pressurized or heated, and and uh, you know, they had a, um, back in the fifties, they did a big Sierra wave project and, um, with, uh, you know, that was kind of a government sponsored type project that they did for several like a winters. Like a per land type thing? Yeah. And they, so they learned a lot because that was all done at Bishop. So, uh, they learned a lot about rotor turbulence, you know, and, and all this other wacky stuff that goes on with wave and, you know, they ended up writing books about it. And so wave has been you know, it's been something, an area, an area that people have touched, I think, but not really seriously gotten into. Cause like I said, a lot of people don't like dealing with, it. I mean, I'll go to the Minden airport and you'll see, 
30 gliders tied out in the summertime, in the wintertime, nothing, you know, they're like, we're done. Gliders are in the box in spring. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, Hey, if, if the air is going up vertically, use it, you know, and as long as you can safely do it and, uh, you know, take advantage of it. And that's, that's, I've always been intrigued with the wave because I think all the records from here on out are, are going to be done, are going to be done in wave. Sure. They have to be because you just can't you can't do that in with the length of day you the limited length of day you have in, in thermals as you, as you guys know. So, when you were sixteen flying at thirty four grand, are are you are you flying in triple uh, sleeping bag? How are you staying warm? It's not no, even this cockpit and all that. Well, right? back then we had the moon boots, you know. <laughs> so yeah, we had those big goofy <laughs> yes. moon boots. So you had the moon boots, and you're just you're freezing your ass off, just you know. Freezing. You know, yeah. and I mean at that age, you don't. You know, you're not doing the research to find out what what the proper gear is. You're 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 learning the hard way. You know, you're coming back and yeah. your fingers and feet are about to fall off. And yeah, <laughs> and you go, why am I doing this? But you know, the canopy's icing up, and the guy said, oh, you got to use alcohol and spray it on the canopy. And so I'm I'm shooting the canopy, and the whole thing's icing up, and and that didn't do anything. And then people say, you know, so it's there's a lot of goofy stuff. But yeah, it was pretty spooky that one day, and that was actually the day after my friend Bob Harris broke the world altitude record. Uh, he he got up to uh, forty nine thousand nine feet unpressurized. So oh, that's that was pretty, unpressurized. That, yeah, that was ballsy. Oh to me, that's God. that's like that's like Chuck Yeager type stuff. That's old, you know. That's old school. Um, he just did Full it in on, a, kind Yeager of a standard stuff. standard glider and 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 one up there and, and unpressurized. And a, a friend of mine that I grew up with, the guy I used to go up flying with, he was a you know he was like nineteen or twenty at the time. And, he got up to a little over 40,000 feet and he got bent that, that, that day. And so he was in the Marine Corps and the following day he ends up, you know, we, we crashed out in the back of his Toyota truck. And so we celebrated because Bob Harris got the world out to record. My buddy, Howard Foote, he got, uh, he got a little over 40,000 feet. So we wake up in the morning, we're sleeping in sleeping bags in the back of his truck. And he goes, man, I feel like shit. I go, what's going on? He goes, I don't know. And I go, dude, the way's working. We, we got to fly. He goes, I can't. He goes, I got to drive back down to El Toro where he was stationed. He drives down to El Toro and barely makes it down there. And he checks in the medical and like, what, what, what were you doing? Oh, I you know, flew up to 40,000 feet. And he goes, so they, they put him in a chamber down in San Diego and he got hey. bent big time. So well, um, was that, he got, that, would, would that have been Hape? No, he got, or he got a, he got an aerial embolism. So he got, you know, the nitrogen, you know, you know, the bubbles in the bloodstream. Yeah. So, so, uh, so he got, yeah, he got, uh, uh diving that, in reverse. That, this is a whole nother story, but at the time, th- this could be a whole nother podcast type thing. But at the time he was trying to get into the Marine Corps to fly, he was an enlisted guy. He knew the general of the base, General Bloomer, General Bloomer was going to help him get in the flight program. Well, about six months after he got bent, he submits his paperwork to get in the flight program. He's got to do this medical thing, eval, and they go, you can't fly. You, you've had the bends. So he goes back to General Bloomer, says, hey, General, you got to fix this. You're a general, by the way, you know. And General says, hey I, hey, I can't do anything about this. What does he do? About a year later, he steals an A-4 jet out of El Toro. It flies it out over freaking Southern California. Yep. And uh, what? Lands, yeah, lands it back at El Toro and gets, you know, military. He took, it was a 4th of July weekend. He took off at midnight, dark runway. And he was 
he just jumped, jumped in a, in a jet and it, it was an OA4. It had an internal APU and then started it up and then blasted off and then came back and, and he got thrown in the brig and, you know, it ended up in the papers and all so that So there stuff. is some so, Top Gun shit going on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is so anyway, awesome. Yeah. So anyway, Buddy Foot, yeah, he got hammered for that. But yeah, so fast forward, you know, I, you know, when I moved up to Min and I just got, you know, I go, hey, I got I to gotta get into this whole wave thing. And at the time... I was flying an old 1971 Kestrel, which is a probably a, you know, it's probably a 42 to one glide ratio, you know, an old, you know, old wing, but still it could do something. And anyway, I, I had big bottles in that and started doing some big flights in that. And I finally did a 2000 kilometer, several 2000 kilometer flights in that. So that got, that got quite a bit of publicity, you know. Two, you went 2000 K thermally, not wind. No, no, that was... That was in wave in, in the in the Castrol, okay. yeah. So okay, wow. You know, I, I'd That's say incredible. Yeah. So how many laps? How many times up and down is that? Well, that was a three turn point, so I got a few records out of that. So that was a a three turn point distance record, and I don't, I'm not quite sure how you guys have your record categorized, but we can have a, a three turn point distance record where we have we can pre declare three turn points, yeah, and they have to be at least 10 kilometers apart so we can go up and down what we call a yo-yo up and down the Owens Valley. Then we have straight out distance records. So I have one, I almost made, made it to Rapid City, South Dakota on, on a downwind flight and wave. So how um, far is that? Uh, that was, uh, uh, that was probably seven, uh, roughly 800 statute, maybe, you know, Jeez. so maybe. you're, so you, and that was declared goal kind of flight um i declared it but i didn't reach the goal the goal was rapid city i landed um i landed just outside of devil's tower there the uh at that airport amazing so but what what what's happening with all these flights is you know i'm going above eighteen thousand feet i'm going up in the class a airspace so i have um, some letter agreements established with uh with oakland salt lake denver center and uh seattle center to go up high so what I do is, is that I, something I, you can just declare on the day? Do you you, you let them no, know they, day of they, or day before? They or? they want you to they want you to call the the day before. You call us control center supervisor. Say I'm I'm that idiot with the glider that's gonna try to go up high and get in everyone's way <laughs> and uh, go downwind. Are so, you flying with Flarm? What are you flying with? Yeah, I, I do have Flarm, but I've got I'm ADSB out and in with uh, okay. with transponder, you know. But glider to okay. glider, it's all you know. The Flarm stuff is really effective. So, so yeah. Um, so I started getting into this uh, the wave stuff here, and things started kind of getting bigger and bigger. And then I got a duo discus glider, which is a non-flapped Kempferth glider, probably you know I don't know forty four to one glide ratio very low wing loading you know and and kind of limited i i would say it's a it's a very good cross-country trainer but i started banging out some big records in that you know and then got several flights over 2,000 kilometers in that and then um i realized okay i'm kind of tapped out with this thing i can't go any further it was equipped with lights i was able to, i was able to legally fly at night which is which is okay but to do like an overnight flights, like it's a whole different animal, you know, and then talk, talk about real, real quickly, just for, for those who, you know, we, paragliders, of course, we, we understand the concept of wave, but we, I, I, I don't know how much wind you need to create wave and what, what are you looking for in the forecast when you're doing these 2000 Ks and how, and how many years ago was that? Was that 
um, decade for the what the 2000 when you're doing starting doing the in the kestrel um, and the, yeah that was probably 20 years ago i mean okay i started getting some big flights and what does it what do you need to what for that to set up and what what is it like launching in that kind of lee and what, what so so what we're basically looking for is we're basically looking for you know the, the key months for 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 wave, I mean, obviously all winter long, because any anytime you have a low pressure system that pumps through, so I'm looking at kind of the 500 millibar charts, which is kind of at the 18,000 foot level, kind of see where the jet jet streams line up with the jet axis, and see what kind of flow that that system that's bringing us, and and, and it's for the Sierra, it's all going to be prefrontal type wave, so we're looking at a southwesterly type flow. And so when that flow, when that jet stream starts kind of dipping south, that's when, you know, that's when it's like, okay, you know, it starts like, it's like the buoy readouts, you know, it's like, oh man, the buoys are starting. You know, starting. So you gotta, you gotta start watching this stuff. And then, and the nowadays coming. with, yeah, it's like, here we go. So several days out, I use a, um, uh, an app called SkySight. I don't know. Do you guys use SkySight? Yeah, yeah, we use it a lot. Phenomenal. Yeah. yeah so, um, yeah. yeah, Matthew's awesome. So SkySight runs 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. And, and I go, Matthew, you got to run these models all night for me now because I'm doing these nighttime things. He goes, ah, no worries, mate. And you'll get, you get the thing going all night. So I download all the stuff. But uh, Skysight's been super, super good. And I mean, I honestly have to say Skysight's probably changed soaring. I don't know how it, how it has been for, for the paragliding world, but the accuracy and detail of wave, because when we fly wave if you can use markers you know like rotor clouds or or, or lenticulars that that's your that's your key but the sky side if we're flying in blue wave you know where there are no cloud markers then you can download all the her data hr um models for for all the, the vertical velocity day for of. for the uh, the day of and then and then have it on your phone and just basically flying that magenta area of lift and it is it is so accurate i'm not saying 100 percent of the time but it's it's it allows you to fly so much further and i think more aggressively because you can go okay there's a dead zone right here i'm going to jam down because down near mammoth it's it's going off again or levining you know so um according to sky i'm going to point i'm going to point it and we're going to get it we're just going to yeah. we're going to fly through this kind of left less oh, lifty yeah. area yeah. fast we're going to punch yep. it we're, we're, and, we'll, we'll get there yeah, because I did these, I did a lot of these big flights when I didn't have that, and so you're kind of blindly flying down, then down, you're going like, oh going, god, oh god, shit, oh, you know, and you're just yeah. seeing this snow blowing off the peaks, going, oh man, this is if I have to land at Levi, which happened to me once, and it was, that's that's about as close to death I thought I was going to get. I mean, it was, that was scary. I mean. I'd never seen. Hold on. We got to hear this one. Okay. No. Take us through it. What happened? Well, that was in the old Kestrel. <laughs> so this is before SkySight. I, I blast out of men then five in the morning and, and I get up to 24,000 feet or whatever. And, and, uh, and I'm, I'm hauling ass south and everything's good. And winds aloft are cranking. So I'm running down towards Inyokun, south end of the Sierra. And I get a beam, um, mammoth. And Mammoth and that whole area gets kind of goofy with wave. And there's some a lot of times there's some dead areas because because of the pass because of the low yep. area there. Yeah, I mean, that's just, yep. we get just hammered the, in that too. Yeah, Obviously, the terrain gets, that kind get, of wind. But, the yeah. terrain gets goofy. Yowen's Valley is spot on. It's almost like a no brainer there down down there. But I was heading south and um, and I remember looking out and I was at 26,000 feet, looking at the tops of these you know, like Mount Tom and these big peaks, I'm going, holy shit, it's blowing. I mean, you see the snow just blowing like miles off the peaks, you know, and, you know, Mono Lake was just going off, you know, just white capped. And so I, I get down south, down the Indian and come back north. And I, 
I'm coming north out of the Owens Valley and I'm at 28,000 feet near, shit, I'm like near Mount Tom and I'm at 28,000 yep. feet and I make a run and I noticed the clouds, the lenticulars had pushed way east and it was just, it was a different, completely different look of sky like two hours later. And I went, this is strange. So I, I, and it wasn't really marked. So I went to where the lift was when I came south. I flew that same line coming north and it was the, on my very ominous head. Down. It was like, I was probably sinking 2,000 feet a minute. I went from 28,000 feet at Mount Tom here, you know, south of Mammoth to being at Lee Vining at 3,000 AGL and just, you know, and the, the so whole hold on. So you're now, so you're in you're you're too far west you're in the you're in yeah. the dump okay. yeah so that it's what happened that what happened is that the winds had strengthened so much the jet had pushed south so quickly and i think the winds just got so hellaciously strong there's a point where they're too strong you know okay. what it did is it flattened out that wavelength so instead of that big sharp propagation yep. you know right five miles east of the spine of the mountains it was like the the way was way east of mono lake it was insane it was like 15 miles downwind and so and i'm not going to go there because there's no place to land you know and surface winds were the whole mono lake was just 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 foamed up so i'm at three like three thousand feet agl and i'm looking at levining that's my only landing option other than maybe a field on the edge of you know next to mono lake or something and i went Holy shit. And that's the, I think the only time I ever wish I was in a car or on the ground, just not in a plane. And, uh, I mean, the wind, it's a 90 you, degree can cross. Can you land in that much wind? In a not really. Are you just going to flop? Are you just going to flop? Well, that's, that's the problem. It's, um, you know, you're kind of, you're, you're a test pilot now. And I, 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 I remember going, shit, how am I going to do this? Cause I'm landing in a 90 degree cross when it was, it must've been blowing 40, you know, 50 knots. It, it, Gus, it was it was just nuts, and so I set up and I'm crabbing, you know, pointing at the runway, and then I just, you know, you're just downwind of this twelve thousand foot peaks, and you just don't know what you're going to get into with turbulence and all this other crap, and so I'm at about two thousand AGL now. I'm downwind, super high, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm 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 adding some knotage, you know, because. I'm adding some speed because I, you know, you just don't know what you're going to hit. And so suddenly I'm on downwind at about 2000 AGL and the air, the, the whole bottom drops out. My, I mean, just the whole plane just drops my legs, which are hanging out underneath this instrument panel, rip through the pan, you know, just rip the panel out of the console. So the console oh, gets shoved up God. into the stick, you know? And so it's blocking the stick and I just throw the freaking panel forward and shove the stick over. And my airspeed just went to like zero. And I went, Holy shit, here we go. And I, was, I thought it was going to die. And, um, so I just dumped the nose over and just waited and I probably lost, you know, a thousand feet in the hole thing just get my airspeed back i got my airspeed back and i just went holy shit and i just i just pointed for the runway because there's boulders all around the airport property there so you know you're not gonna you're not gonna survive that so i all i want to do is get that that glider in the confines of the airport i didn't give a shit if it was gonna roll up in a ball or, or what i just wanted to get it over the fence line you know into the property and so i did that and i'm hauling ass now you know, I got my airspeed back and, and, uh, turn on the final, get over the fence. And now I've got clipping along at a pretty good ground speed. And I'm, there's only so much wing down you can put into a crosswind. So I, I landed kind of at a crab 
and I, you know, with my wing down and then I landed on the runway and then at about 20, 30, you know, 30 knots airspeed, I couldn't, I couldn't keep the glider lined up with the runway because of the crosswind, you know, so it just went off in the sagebrush and then came to a stop. And then I'm like, holy shit. And so I'm like, okay, is there anybody what? there? No, it's a ghost town. So, so I'm sitting in the glider and so I start, so I've got my big expedition suit, you know, buddy, my kind climb K2, he gave me a suit. So I was wearing that. So you've got all this shit in the cockpit. You're just jammed up on this thing. So I'm, I'm trying to undo my, as I'm trying to undo all this stuff, the whole glider picks up off the ground. Oh God. Because of the crosswind. Cause the right wing was kind of, it was, the wings were semi-level cause they're resting on the sagebrush. But it picked up just enough, like three or four feet off the ground and slid down wind and settled down again. I went, holy shit, it's going to flip me over with this thing in it, you know. And then that's what's going to kill me. <laughs> so I just opened the canopy, chucked it up and then held on to it and was able to climb out and keep it from getting ripped out of my hands. And I ran to the upwind side of the wing and then I just I just got, got on top of the wing and then the upwind side just kind of laid on it and then... I just remember just getting pelted with just gravel. It, it was blowing that hard. And then about 10 minutes later, and I go, and I'm thinking, what am I going to do here? Because there's no one around. Yeah. I mean, there's no the one. Options. No one's around. So I go, at some point, I'm going to have to let go of this thing, and the glider's gone. It's, it's, it's toast. So about 10 minutes later, this truck comes up, and it's this guy, Dennis. He owns the mobile station down there at Levining, right? And he's got a Cessna, um, like a 180 or something, in the hangar. So he comes up and we could barely hear each other because the wind's blowing. So, you know, we're screaming. I'm like, yeah, I need, I need to get, just get a car on the upwind side of this wing so it doesn't flip over. So he goes, okay, I'll just get the big truck. And so, so yeah. So Dennis gets all these Mexican guys and they, you know, they, they come, come down with, it's like a watering truck or something like that. And they, they block the upwind side of the glider. And then we kind of like, okay, now, you know, let's get our you know, wits together. So we got like six guys, uh, lifted up out of the sagebrush and we just kept the truck on the upwind side of the wings. We pushed it back towards the, towards the hangar and we tied it down behind the hangar on the downwind side. And, and, uh, the wingtips were Man, hanging out. The lucky wind. Those guys but, were around. Oh shit. So we get, oh. I go, how did you see me? He goes, he goes, I didn't see. He goes, he goes, one of my cooks was standing at the window overlooking, you know, the mono lake going, Hey boss, look at this fucking wind is blowing. <laughs> so it was just, I mean, it was like, it was like the middle of Pacific. The whole mono lake was just a sea of foam, you know. And then he saw the glider, Jeez. and he goes, "Hey, boss, look in the airplane." And Dennis went, "Holy shit, that guy's gonna be in trouble." And so that's when they got in the truck. Luckily, they saw me. So that oh, day, wow. semis rolled over. I mean, trees were blown down, and and uh, it was just it was it was hell. The, but the, these these days with things like sky sight and being able to tap, you know, if you got, I'm assuming. Sometimes yeah. you have cell cut. What do you have up in the, when, when you're really high, you're not getting cell anymore. Are you? No, no, not really. Um, I do. You know, we start to lose like, it at 17, 18. I, I yeah. Don't you guys are, yeah. You you're right. I, yeah, we, we do. It's kind of, it's kind of in and out. I've got a Garmin in reach so I can text with the, with the in reach. And then I also have ah. a sat phone. So I've got oh. um, like on the downwind flights, I've got the sat phone capability. I'll stay in touch with a, uh, buddy of mine who's a retired meteorologist, a glider guy too, because he can give me, he's got to give me weather updates. Like when I blow, when I launch out of here, I go up to get up at 28,000 feet and then I go downwind. So I got to stay clear of the Fallon restricted airspace. So I, I head out along the ranges, basically heading out towards the rubies. 
Okay, so yeah. once I get the oh, rubies, really? yeah, I'm talking to Salt Lake then. And rubies just generate monster wave. So if I get the rubies and I can get a big climb out of there and then make a run towards Logan, Utah, out towards Bear Lake, and then Bear Lake, that whole range just west of Bear Lake generates big wave and then climb up there and then go off to the Wind Rivers and then the Bighorns and then shit, it's... So Jeez, that's <laughs> insane, man. That's insane. That, that's oh my god. So, but when you're back to this near death thing, you know, when it was obviously really scary, these that's 20 years ago. These days, are, are can you just totally avoid that, or are you still taking that kind of risk? I mean, are, is that something that had you had? What you have now, technology-wise, SkySight, would you have known that? Would you would you have known not yeah, to do it? Yeah, I, I, I think SkySight like Sky will show that. They'll, um, okay. Sky, I think SkySight, yeah, I mean, SkySight will show that. And nowadays, a lot of guys go, well, I'm not going to take off today because the forecast for the winds to be, you know, gusting to 40, 50 knots, you know, when you – I go, well, if if, if you <laughs> – if you base it off, if, if you just don't fly every time because it's the forecast is going to be, it may or may not be that. I don't, I don't know. But I, I said if if, yeah. if I just didn't fly every time because uh, the forecast is going to be gusty and I didn't, it was uncomfortable, I, you'd never fly. So as long as you have yeah. alternates, you know, like something that's into the wind, whether it's Carson or going downwind and landing in Hawthorne or something, as long as you have some some bailout points, and then you know, then you have options, you know. But uh, you you said something you said something interesting early on that I I don't know that I understand. You said usually it's winter because you're looking for the lows and they come through with the southeast, southwest. What I, what I don't sorry 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 southwest. Yeah. yeah. The, so you know you you've got your you've got your you know anticyclonic uh, winds and so you're 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 flying you're flying pre frontal frontal on that. But is that long enough for you? I mean, usually when I think of a low, it's coming through pretty fast as opposed to, you know, like, like a really sustained high pressure westerly, I would think would be more, well, this, this, the flight you did was in June. Was that a big low or was nope. that? Uh, that was a, yeah, that was a very unusual situation because to, to have a low come down this far, I mean, getting up a low hit in Seattle or Washington, in the summer that that happens but for it to reach down this yeah. deep that this far south very unusual okay. but it, it's a really good question you pose because there are times where lows are too the trough is too deep and it's too too rapid a front i'm not saying you won't get waved you'll get waved but just a very short period of time so you go okay what can i do with that is there anything mm. can i do a big flight so you might just pass on it or just go monkey around and i've done flights like that where it's just a, my my last flight was just a really mediocre to low just like hmm, yeah it's it's normally i wouldn't fly but i still banged out like 1500 kilometers you know on that mm. that day so and i think so as long, again, as long as you don't get jaded and you're you're just chasing the 3000k you can go out on those shorter the, yeah, those deeper yeah. troughs and still fly wave and have fun but it's just it's going to go through too fast to break any records is that right yeah do i, have that, do I understand that right okay you're right because i mean they're they're the classic situations is to get a prolonged like a, a really kind of a shallow low that comes in and just feeds energy for like two days and we get that maybe maybe once or twice a year you know so for me what to, about these what about you know like last winter when we had just what did, what did california get 11 atmospheric rivers yeah. does that work are those good or they those no, are that, so those the, see those end up getting too wet because too wet. it just 
too much moisture and it's just yeah it, it, it once you know once they have there's a point where they have so much energy and, and so much moisture in them they just cross the sears and they end up you know a lot of the times these lows were flying these prefrontal systems the whole west side of of the sears just getting hammered and you know you're on the on the lee side and protected by essentially the sears or whatever's holding back that weather but um like last year there there weren't too many flyable days where you could have done anything big because these things were just coming in and just pumping moisture in and you can't you can't fly in that once once that low that jet axis get ends up kind of hitting like Mindanarian and going south and you're 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 in an area of too much moisture so okay. that's why looking okay. at the looking at the 500 millibar we call it the 560 the 564 line that kind of you know marks gotcha. the jet access so you and okay. then once again sky side you go okay sky side showing the moisture pumping through and sometimes it'll pulse where the wave will shut down here and you can be down the owens valley just banging out turn points running up and down and then then it you know it'll pulse and then open up here in the afternoon that's happened with me too where i, I sneak back home you know but you know there's a lot of experimenting and and there's still a lot to learn with this stuff, and and that's what makes this stuff so fascinating. This is just like with you guys; it's it never gets boring because there's always you know there's always something you always find to go what the, what the hell was that all about? You know that one thermal, or you know I got low there. Why was you know that cloud wasn't working? You know what the hell's going on here? And so I, I, I mean I I and I, I want to talk about that too. But the the as I understand it, with you guys with sailplanes, you know they're you have a lot more knowledge because it's just been going on a lot longer. But yeah. what we talk about in, in paragliding is that, you know, the, the amount of stuff to be done in this part of the world is literally mind boggling yeah. yeah. because we've barely touched the surface. Right. Whereas in Europe, you know, our FAI triangles, you're talking, you were talking about how do yeah. we measure our distances, you know, our FAI triangles, same as yours, you know, okay. those yeah. are the, those are the bees knees. That's where you get all the points. Yeah. And that's what we want to do. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a lot more technical and difficult than just going downwind one right. way. Right. So, you know, coming home is, is way more sexy, but in, in Europe, you know, the, it'll really be a huge surprise if somebody flies a huge triangle that's not just a little bit bigger than what what 50 people have already done you know right. it, there's yeah. there's nothing there is just wow that's never been done i mean in the alps most things have been done they're just uh -huh. getting bigger the gliders are getting better yeah. you know people are figuring it out we're flying faster you know but like what othar or uh, what's his name uh the klaus is doing yeah. in sailplanes over the med you know i'm sure for you guys that's just like whoa that's a that's a big deal but it, here in the west is it the same with you guys are, 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 is there just if you barely scratch the surface or are I, I, you guys I think just so. making I mean, things bigger okay yeah no I, I think cool. I, I think it's. I think the, the the surface is being scratched, especially now with the the capability of, of doing the uh, using the NVGs. Um, yeah. Because now it's describe it's like, describe what that is. We're going to get to the big flight, but for and, those who oh, don't know, what what'd you just say? Yeah. So so the night vision, the NVGs are the night vision goggles, um, and like you know, you're not going to vision this thing, but these are these are what I'm I'm using, and so these are actual. These are used by. The actual mil this is used by the military. These are these are the no shit. These are like eighteen grand a piece for these things. You know, they're wow. but it's 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 insane. I mean, using these things and you feel once you get the experience with them, it's 
I mean, that's about as close to flying off the boat as possible. You know, when you take <laughs> off on a pitch black runway, I took my buddy up a few weeks ago and uh, he's another FedEx guy and he was just going, holy shit. Cause he was sitting in the back and he, I the first, first touch and go, cause I've got the, the jet with the glider. He just put the goggles up. He goes, it's pitch black. He goes, I can't see him. He goes, I can't see a thing. He just heard the wheel touch down. He goes, oh, shit. I guess we're on the ground. <laughs> so the next one, he put really? the goggles down. He goes, oh, my God, that's insane. You know, we're flying along the ridges, really? you know, right, right along the Kingsbury at freaking 11 o'clock at night. And it's pitch black. I go, put the goggles up. He goes, holy shit, we're dead. You know, I go, yeah. It's... So I think with the, with the goggles really? now, with with wave and, and ridge, because ridge will work at night, too. And that's where I think you guys... Because I, you know, when you said you want to talk to me, I'm going. God, we we got to figure something out with these paragliders. Something to to, yeah. to get these guys to to start smash this like like dudes taking off off the Appalachians, you know, with NVGs paragliders, and and just doing a massive flight and just blowing everyone's mind. And I think that stuff is possible, you know, with you guys. Hold on, um, hold on. I gotta I gotta somehow silence all that last bit. I'm, I'm the only one that heard that. <laughs> <laughs> Wow! Really? Oh my God! That's yeah, crazy. I think, yeah, so, I don't, you know, I keep I thinking how even occurred to us. I, I you know, I because I, I don't I know why to, it would totally work. I've always been intrigued with with you know the paragliding and the hang gliding stuff, and you know, I see you guys now in the Sierra, and I just go, just you rip pull up in the thermals, like man, that's cool. These dudes hanging out there, and I think it's kick ass. Yeah. The, the the only thing is, of course, is we can't fly in that kind of wind. You know, we we'd no, have to well, be. And that's why it I couldn't be rigid. It would have to just be ridge. Yeah, I mean, so ridge. I think I think I, I honestly think something with ridge. Uh, if you now with yeah with wave, I, I just I've been thinking like constantly about how you guys can do something with wave. But I don't think it's safe. They have done it in hang gliders. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, Johnny Duran, a Red Bull athlete, flew in wave and a hang glider down in Australia. And, you know, it was it was pretty wild. I mean, the, the footage. And that's mild wave and there, you know. You to- exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, just, I don't know. I don't know that we could do it. Well, that, that's what I wanted to ask you. So next, we're, we're, we're going to get to this insane flight. But while we're still back here, the what is what is taking off look like how do you get started how do how does it work how, how do you get going you, you're talking about you know you're yeah. twenty four thousand feet back in this kind of by today's standards so pretty- so the typical scenario with with uh you know whether you whether you tow or self-launch you know i can self-launch now because you know i've got the i've got the jet that allows me to take off most the, the jet's very unique typically you're going to either tow up or self-launch up to about three or 4,000 AGL. And um, from Mindanet, and that involves heading west from the airport, you know, four or five miles, basically towards the Kingsbury grade and, you know, at 395 and then climbing up to about three or 4,000 AGL most of the times and then getting into the wave right there, working your way up and then getting into that laminar flow and then, you know, off, off you go. So. Um, How long does that take? Uh like on that big flight I did, it was I probably ran the motor for like seven minutes, um, climbed to about really? 3,500 3, AGL, and then shut it down and got right into the wave, and then and was able to. I, I was using SkySight because you know I had the NVGs. It was it was uh, 
it was dark outside, obviously. So I had the MBGs, no, no markers. So I went right to where Sky Sight, there was just a little tiny pocket of where Sky Sight said there was going to be a wave. I just motored right to it. Boom, there it was. Shut the motor down, stows in the fuselage, doors closed. Now you're totally clean. And then, uh, you know, our flight recorders, that's when our flight recorders will monitor either, they'll monitor that engine noise. And so it'll say, okay, that's when you're soaring. The beginning of your soaring begins when that motor is shut down. So it's either through vibration or, or sound. So, and when you when you cut off the motor, or if you're you don't have a motor and you and you you cut off your toe and you're in you're in the wave, what does it feel like? What what is it? How long does it take to get from three thousand HEL? Well, to it depends. Sometimes 20. you end up a lot of times you end up in pretty rough air, um, kind of in the rotor sometimes, and yet sometimes working up into that rotor. There's other times where you can climb right up and it's just, you, you, because for a minute you'll typically fly through the rotor. So you get the, the shit knocked out of you flying through the rotor. And then once you punch through that to the west of that or to the windward side, you get into this, it's glass smooth. It's just totally glass smooth, laminar smooth. Really? I mean, you can put a glass of wine on the dash to fly the whole day that way, you know, in that smooth air. Really? But if you get down, like in the in the Sierra, because since the Owens Valley, since the Sierra is so high down there, um, you if you get down to sixteen or seventeen thousand feet in, in in the Owens Valley, you can be hitting rotor already there, and it's just it's the Owens Valley is violent, you know, it just gets yeah. ugly. So um, I try we to stay always, up high. We always say it's one of the most violent places on oh, yeah. Earth. It's and yeah, it's, it's, it's too. Oh yeah, I mean, especially with winds like uh, that, it's. Uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, there's stuff that you, you know, you just, your palms get sweaty just talking about, you know, but, um, well, what kind of, uh, you know, so I'm just trying to give those who don't, you know, I've never been in a sailplane. You gotta, uh, well, you gotta come out. You know, I've, I've done, I've got, oh, I, I swear I, to God, you, you'll, I will you'll, be it'll blow your best. mind. I will. I will never go to sleep. I will keep it rocking, buddy. We. I promise you. I will be the best co-pilot ever. I have got to do this. It sounds amazing. And, yeah, and those of you who are listening, when we get to this you flight, see, it's going to blow your mind. But yeah, when you when you feel that when you see the energy out there, when you're, I mean, we're indicating like in the in the Owens Valley, you're ind- indicating 140 knots, and you're going up 1,500 feet a minute at 27,000 feet. It's oh, like, holy shit. shit. Are you kidding me? No. Seriously? I mean, last time so, I was down there, I was, I was, I had to stay below 18 because I didn't, they didn't give me clearance because they were working on a bunch of traffic out near uh, Joshua Trees going up or Barstow because of thunderstorms. And the guy said, I, I can't give you your Sage 2. Stand by, stand by. And, and I'm literally at 17.5 at 141 knots indicated, which is my max V and E at that at altitude. And and I had the spoilers out trying to stay below eighteen thousand feet, and I'm just just going. <laughs> You're up going like, 170 miles an hour. That's yeah. Um, so so what. You know, when I'm trying to give people a sense for what this feels like when you're in the when you're not in the glassy stuff and you're in the, you know, is it is it when you're in a commercial jet landing at Denver on one of those really really bad days and thunderstorms everywhere? Is that what it feels like? Does it or is it worse? How, how much well, how much can these planes that you're flying handle? They're really strong. What, um, what you, what you don't want to do is fly into that kind of turbulence. Like in that, the only turbulence you'll find associated with mountain wave is is that rotor and that rotor will be basically from the ridge top level 
potentially down to the surface, you know. So okay. um, once you get above, once you get above that ridge top level, so let's just say from here, you know, in this area from from here down to the Owens Valley, if you're above 14, 15,000 feet, you're not going to hit any of that rotor. But if you like fall out of the wave and you have to reestablish yourself into wave, you might fall down below the ridge tops. And that's happened to me plenty of times in those soft spots between like uh, Bridgeport and uh, Bishop, you know, where you're like, oh shit, here we go. You know, and you're, you're 24,000 feet next time, next thing you know, because the sink rates, you can hit some heavy sinking wave too, you know, where you're going down sure. two, 3,000 feet a minute. So it's, it's, oh. it's, 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 it's as bad going down as it is up. So if you get in the down part of that wave, let's say, um, let's say you get, you drift too far downwind or you're, it's blue wave and the sky sight, let's say sky sight's wrong. You're, you're fishing around and like all of a sudden, holy shit. Now I'm, now I'm in 2000 feet a minute sink. You're like, oh shit. You always work to your upwind side, but you might be end up below that ridge top level. And that's happening to me where you, you, you make a big jump in a dead zone and, and now you're, you're 13,000 feet and just like, just getting the shit knocked out of you, you know, really? and, and you're working that rotor trying to get back into the rotor because that rotor will have up and down, you know, so the air is going, so you'll try to find more up than down and then reestablish yourself back in west of the rotor into the wave and then punch, punch to the west and get into that laminar when flow. You, when you say you're trying to work it, are you working it like a thermal? Are you turning? Yeah, yeah. Are you turning circles? It depends okay, on the yeah, wind. Sometimes, right. so um, with our, uh, with our computers now, we can see our track over the ground. So if I see myself, you know, obviously, you know, sometimes we're dealing with 60, 70 knot winds at, you know, 14,000 feet or whatever, but you make a turn down wind, you get a jet. And so a lot of times you kind of, you finagle it, you know, you go, okay, maybe S turns will work. Or if you can remain stationary, you know, that's the key. And a lot of times the wave, the wind's strong enough to where you can, you can literally, you'll have a, a zero ground speed and be going up, you know, 2,000 feet a minute. It's just, it's bizarre. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Whoa. I mean, last time I flew, I had a minus a negative eight knot ground speed. You know, so I'm I'm climbing, getting pushed backwards. <laughs> it's so. Yeah, this I mean, is not paragliding condition. No. Holy cow! <laughs> oh my! What's your what's your trim speed on that glider? Um. All right. We're, now we're talking paragliding lingo here. Trim speed. Well, what's so so dead stick, dead air? What, oh, what, okay. what do you? What, what's so your we're speed? probably about sixty knots. We call it our, like our best L over D speed. You know, it's like six, roughly okay. sixty knots. Um, okay. The thing in, like, in, in, in these conditions, we fly out here in the Sierra. I mean, a lot of times, you know, you're full stick forward and just you're you're going V and E, and it's just you're, you're just, just literally you're just you're cooking over the ground and you, you end up on a downwind leg, you know, I've had, I've had over 200 and 200, not uh, ground, uh, 250, not think ground speed. It's crazy. God damn. So, That's incredible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's a completely different ball game, you know, but, uh, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's all relative, you know, paragliding, soaring, you know, it's going you know, mountain bike and road bike. Yeah. <laughs> all, but man, um, that's, I mean, 
I've never, I've never, you know, I've flown, of course, with a ton of sailplanes in the Alps. You know, we, we do a lot yeah. of thermaling with sailplanes yeah, and, yeah. you know, they come through and often they're racing from Slovenia all the way through into yeah. Germany. And, you know, they, they do everything that we do, but much bigger. They're just going yeah. way faster. Yeah. It looks, but, you know, when I, when I hear the stories, even friends of mine that, that fly sailplanes that also fly paragliders, they always kind of they don't get that excited about it. They're always kind of, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's cool. We go farther, but I mean, listening to your stories is just, uh, this doesn't seem yeah. like normal sailplaning to me. <laughs> I haven't heard it's, these kind of stories. It's a little different. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I do a lot of the thermal stuff, you know, and I, and I love it, but it's, it's when I start comparing um, my big thermal flights to the wave flights, my, I'm working my ass off in the thermal stuff, you know, and I'm it's just like, shit, I'm just spending all this time circling, you know, and then you, you make a big long spending half run the time and then you circle away. And you're like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like this isn't too efficient, you know, <laughs> but, and, and that's what I think is, uh, uh, is pretty cool with the wave stuff. It's just the, the energy that is out there. Energy. It is insane. I mean, there was back in the Sierra wave project, there's a story of a guy in the P 38, you know, that, got in a mountain wave um, near Bishop and he shut both motors down and P-38 climbed to like 30,000 feet with no motors in a P-38. What? Yeah. God, yeah. man, that's incredible. So, I mean, it's just, the energy is just nuts, but. Um, how do you deal, how do you deal with ice? Is that uh, a thing for you guys? Or yeah. Is that, yeah. <laughs> you need a lot of um, canopy icing and stuff like that. But I, um, you try to, you don't want to fly in clouds because, you know, once you get that wing iced up, it's not coming off, you know, until you get down low. But um, we have oh. um, had issues with icing. But what I do now is I put a, uh, a, like an inner layer of plexiglass. So it forms like two layers. And there's a, there's a, like an air pocket between the inner layer of plexiglass and the canopy. And that air pocket gets warm enough where no ice, no ice forms. And it's, it works magically. Okay. So, so you don't, um, but you don't have to worry so much on your, I'm not an airplane ailerons or whatever, and the um, cables yeah, yeah. or however the flaps and all that stuff. Yeah, you you do. I mean, but you'll only you'll only get into that stuff if you fly. If you're high enough and it's cold enough, that won't be an issue. But if you're, well, let's say probably in the high teens or you know in the twi- you know mid teens, high teens, and low tw- you know low twenties, and you fly in the cloud, then you'll you'll probably get have some issues. Um, I gotta come fly with you, man. That's just this stuff's incredible. Yeah. This just isn't something we can touch. Yeah, I think the, the the wave stuff would be interesting for you because because you guys don't do that. For you to see the um, just to the see amount it. of energy that's it, it's it's mind boggling, you know. And it's it's not uh, Australian wave. It's not European wave. It's just it's just big stuff, you know. It's yeah. like pipeline or YMA or Nazare or something, you know. It's it's yeah, it's the big the stuff. to the big. It's the big so, stuff. So, so tell me again, I keep alluding, sorry, listener, but this is so fascinating. I keep alluding to this big flight. We're going to get there, but the, tell me about your aircraft. Cause the, I have some sailplane friends when I, when I told them, Hey, I'm going to get Gordon on the show. What do I need to know? They were all really excited about your plane. What, why is your plane so special? Well, there are only four in the world that are, um, and there's nothing spe- special about the sailplane itself. It's, it's a Schemperth Arcus, um, glider manufactured in germany it's kind of the it's the ferrari for two-seaters right now you know that that's that's being built probably the most popular high performance two-seater out there so um the story on my glider is that about five years ago by a guy by the name of dennis tito 
he spent uh, a week up in the space station with the went up with the Russians, you know, the guys, you know, adventure, big money. Yeah. He ordered four Arcuses from Germany, brought them over here. He was very fascinated with the wave stuff and, and flying wave. He said, okay, I want a jet engine put on them, on, the, on all four of them. He had that done. And, oh, he told the manufacturer, he told Champ Perth, he said, hey, I want, I want you to do some uh, – some uh, redesigning or figure something out so I can fly at a higher airspeed than than the manufactured air, you know, uh, the placarded airspeeds. So I want basically a faster glider. I want the jet engine. I want auto flaps on it so I don't have to monkey with the flaps. And then I also want uh, all the instruments coded for for night vision goggles, and I want night vision goggles. And so he had four of these gliders um, made up, brought them over here. His intent was to have two down in Argentina to fly the wave down there. And uh, so he had two in Minden, and I think he shipped a couple down there to Argentina. Did some big flights down there and up here. And then after about four years, he goes, I'm done. And so he sold why? two to... Why was he Why was he done? I don't know. Just no, did no it? idea. I got, Check I the know. box? Yeah, Okay. Oh. So, So two were sold to Airbus. So Airbus bought two um, for doing research and things like that. Those two are still right. here in Minden. And so these aren't part of the per land project. Yeah. Well, mean? yeah. Well, no, technically no, but they're owned by, they are owned by Airbus. Some of the per land guys are using one of the glides gliders for contrail testing, that kind of stuff. So it's kind oh, of wow. torn up. And then the last two were for sale. And the buddy of mine was doing all this flying with Dennis Tito. And so when that, those last two, you know, we're, we're up for sale about a little over a year ago. I'm like, holy shit, I got, this is the, this is the ultimate machine. It's like, there's nothing more you could do to sweeten up a glider for, for high altitude, long distance, fast wave flights. And so I jumped on the, the newest one of the four, Dennis Tito sold it to me. And then it was game on right off the bat, you know? So, so the first year, I, this is the first year I've had it, you know, and, you know, doing these really? big flights. So, yeah, I've, I've got, I don't know, a bunch of 2,000 kilometer flights, that big one. And then uh, I've got a bunch of thousand kilometer flights and thermals. And so, um, yeah, it's just been, so I just, I just hit the ground running with this thing. And then I finally got called on the NVGs because you got to be signed off with the night vision goggles. So, I got a guy to sign me off at that. And then Tim Garter, who, who flew with Dennis Tito, he was called on the NVGs and, and, uh, we did some night stuff here. Um, cause it's a whole different ball game. You know, it's, it's, you gotta, you gotta be kind of on your game with flying at night, you know, with your night vision goggles, cause everything's field of vision, you know, your field of view is really narrowed down. So it's, it's, it's just a different ball game, but once you get used to it, it's, it's cool. But anyway, I'm, I'm going for this, this is the machine. And I just like started like going, all right. You know, so the first, the first year, um, it was pretty much doing, I, I, I mean, I landed at night and stuff like that, but then on that June 19th flight, I'm like, okay, I, I think I feel comfortable enough for these goggles to try a, at least an overnight flight. I had no intention of flying that far. I just called my partner. I sold half the share to a partner, my, my, a partner of mine that was a FedEx guy, but not yet rated in glider. So he, so his first flight in the glider was like, well, a thousand kilometer thermal flight with me. This second one was another thousand. Then he did a 2000 kilometer flight. So, wow. so I called him up on this flight on June 19th. Go, Hey man, I said, I said the wave's going to line up. It's just, 
it's not classic. It's just, it's going to be an okay wave day, but if you want to try to just do an overnight flight and, you know, or just fly all night. Cause my main goal was to kind of see how I was going to be able to handle the temperatures up at altitude in the twenties at night. Cause typically it will get unbearably cold, you know, because I've, I've flown at night, but not for long, for, not for hours, but um, it gets wicked cold. So I'm like, let's see what we can do here. And so that was kind of the, the whole purpose of that flight was just to kind of fly, you know, at night till like noon. And then I, I texted Matthew Scudder of Sky Sky. I'm like, hey, Matt, check out the weather. I mean, I, what do you think? And he goes, he goes, yeah, the wave's going to shut down at about two o'clock. And I go, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I said, well, can you run at the night? models all night? No, in the afternoon. Oh, so the afternoon, okay. I figured it was going to go from the evening, you know, all night and then until two o'clock. So, and it was not a classic day. It was on a scale of one to 10, it was probably a, maybe a five. So, really? you know, after I'd land, I go, holy shit, on a good day, man, imagine what you can do. You know? No way, but, no way. So this is just an average day? Yeah, that was, I what probably would not have, I probably would not even have flown. It was more of like, hey, let's just go sure, an all nighter, you know, because it was, because it was June 19th. I go, well, shit, it's, it's warm. It's not wicked cold. It's not winter. It's, you know, I go, let's just, it, it's going to be tame as far as temperature, temperatures goes. Let's, so Bruce, if you want to go up, we'll go do some NVG work, you know? And so it turned out to be, um, yeah, we went beyond Do you have some kind of heater in there? Or do you have any, no. do you have any warm air blowing on you or anything? Oh no, God. It's no, just, cause you're just, you know, so what, you're, what do you, what do you wrap up in? What are you wearing? So some guys ask about the electric stuff, you know, electric clothing. The problems with that is the problem with that is if it, first of all, it fails and you don't have the, the backup, in other words, the thick stuff, it's game over. It's like, oh, we're done. Yeah, you know, yeah. might as well land. So I wear a big climbing, you know, that you know, expedition suit, and then some layers underneath. The problem with that is if you get down low and you end up in a thermal situation, that happened with me. Ugh. Like when I flew my Kessler, I flew from here to Steamboat, Colorado, and I ended up over the Wasatch. Well, wave completely fell apart. It's like now I'm down in thermals, and I'm just pouring sweat in the cockpit. You know, it's just like holy shit. I'm coming in there, just trying to stay hydrated. You know, so that can turn into a, a bad situation if you end up low, you know, but this flight, we suited up and, and, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, what time you want to meet? Yeah. You know, it was father's father's day the day before. So my dad was in town. So we had, we had dinner and they just kind of moseyed out to the airport. I'm like, yeah, oh, shit, we still got to put gas in the thing. And so we just took our time and took off at two 30 and just why two 30. It's just cause it was too, I don't know. It was just two 30. And it was so, I was so unprepared for the flight, not unprepared, but I was, I, I didn't really have big ambitions. I mean, so much so that I didn't, I didn't call Oakland center for a clearance until we were actually pulling the glider out with the car where, and I just called Oakland center at like two in the morning. Like, Hey man, I'm, uh, I'm going to be launching it in like a half an hour. He goes, you glide in a glider. I go, yeah, he goes, I got NVGs and he goes, huh? He goes, I said, I'm looking for a clearance so we can get a, get a clearance in the class A. He goes, hmm. He goes, well, we're not too busy. He goes, that shouldn't be a problem. He goes, let me go to the floor and talk to the controllers and let them know your, your you know, what's your call sign? Yeah, 189 Delta Tango. Like, okay, I'll let them know. So as soon as we climbed up and got to 14,000 feet, they gave me an IFR clearance. I said, go have at it. So it was a really windy uh, evening. You know, winds are blowing. It was almost too much for, you know, too much crosswind for takeoff. But, uh, you know, we did it on NVGs on a pitch black runway, 
and then um, uh, from Minden. Yeah, yeah, Minden. Okay. And uh, so we, like I said, we climbed up about thirty, you know, three thirty five hundred AGL or something. And um, <laughs> the, little, <laughs> the little funny thing is. You know, your your suit. It's just the two of us. I don't have a support team. It's like let's get our shit and throw it in the airplane. You so, didn't have you didn't have ground. You didn't have a ground person. No, no, like I a just, weather person. No, okay. we're just you know what's yeah. It was just supposed. You to had be low expectations. Gonna, You're just going to go no. cruise. You know, and I never have yeah. a. I, I just I'm always kind of a one man show anyway. You know, I don't have a big support team. You know, launching me run the wings. I just let the you know do my thing and keep it simple. So anyway, Bruce, the guy that I was flying with, I put him in the front seat because I'm six five and it's more room in the back seat and so he never he never used MVG so, so, I, so I had to give him a tutorial on you know do this don't don't do this you know make sure to, you know he, he, so he, he was clueless on the MVG he'd never used them you know so, wow. so he sits Jeez. in the front seat and I said just get and you know you you putting 10 pounds of shit in a five pound bag you know it's one of those deals so he's I said, just put all your stuff on the ground here. So keep in mind, it's it's pitch black. So I got the truck running, the lights on, you know, lighting up the fuselage. And so he's, he gets in and he's trying to get squared away and the wind's blowing and like crazy. And so I start handing him all this shit on his lap and he's, you know, he's not used to these big flights. He's not used to the glider thing, you know? So he's, I get down to the last few items and there's a blue cube thing. And I go... Bruce, what the fuck is this? He goes, oh, it's a Bluetooth speaker. I thought we could maybe listen to some music and we're up there. I go, are you shitting me? <laughs> what do you think this is? You know, got some Michael Bublé going here. What? So I go, that man, we don't have the room for this crap. So, you know, and he had a big, you know, it's like he was, you know, had this five pound bag of nuts. And I'm like, dude, what, are you, what is this? Naked and afraid or something? <laughs> So, so anyway, I get him in the front seat and I get in the back. And so it, it's kind of chaotic because the winds are blowing. I get the motor started and uh, we start, you know, we start a takeoff roll and, you know, it's noisy with that, that jet going and all. And, and we get to about 20 knots. It's a big enough runway. So, so we get to about 20 knots and I hear this flapping, bang, 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 bang. And I go, oh shit, what's that? So I, you know, brought the throttle back to idle, stopped the airplane. And I, I had to figure it was my shoulder harness. Sure enough, the shoulder harness was hanging outside of the canopy and uh, banging on the leading edge of the wing. So I opened the canopy up, you know, and then strapped in. And I just got, I, I just got, you know, first of all, fatigue. I was up all day, you know, I got up at seven o'clock that morning. So I was, I'm dead tired and I'm doing this shit with these NVGs. I'm going, what am I doing here? So we, so I, I, I got the shoulder strap on. We blast off. We get to about a hundred feet. Canopy opens. <laughs> Holy shit. And I go, you know, it's one of those things that add, these things that add up. You go, I sh I probably should not be doing this, you know. And I can yeah, that's, that close that's two that's to get the three. Two. We got a rule: if, yeah. it, if it's yeah. three, you got to abort. <laughs> I didn't have three. Home. Uh, so I, 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 was, I, was, I was able to grab the canopy, and we got it shot. I'm like, man, man, this is just not this is not going well, you know. And that had never happened to me, you know, ever. Yeah. And I'm going, yeah. mm, you know, maybe this is oh, not man, just right. the right thing. So we just. We motored out and got in the wave and climbed up to 24,000 feet and then headed on south and then uh, started our journey, you know, 17 hour and 40 minute journey. So, so I, I read your, I read your article. I would love, I know you've given other interviews about this, but it was beautiful that you, you talked about the beauty, even with the NVGs, this, oh. 
what does it look like? What what do you? That was I mean, wild. I mean, um, I've seen a bunch of your photos flying these FedEx jets, you know, around the world, and they're amazing. And it, those of you listening, you got to follow Gordon on Instagram. It's amazing. But I mean, what do you see in that night? Because it just um, sounds like it, 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 it. I think it just would blow my mind if you see yeah, that. Yeah, it's it's you know it, it's wild because you know we headed we headed south, which was right in the direction where you know you know the Milky Way was just hanging over the entire canopy and so you're sitting there with your dim lit instruments biggest and snow year in history you know I mean, you're sitting there with these the dim instruments your is going dee, 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 you know and you're at twenty thousand feet and it's pitch black outside and you know you know because there's nothing between here and like bishop right and so you know it, it's just magical you know and it, it wasn't cold and i remember telling bruce i said this is just nuts we're just looking at the milky ways and and it, it's a shame that Everyone doesn't have a chance to look through like legit night vision goggles because the amount of stars you see is unbelievable. It's I mean you're just, you're looking at satellites, you know, like left and right shooting stars, poof, poof, you know, all you know. And here you are with a in a glider, twenty seven thousand feet, clipping along one hundred and fifty knots over the ground, you know, just it's like wow, it was just yeah. magic, you know. And you and you're the only gig in town because there's no one up there, you know. And so it was. Yeah. It was it was neat. We get down towards like Mammoth, and everything's going well. And uh, we had an issue getting into the Joshua Complex because they didn't open the airspace till five in the morning, which I didn't know about. So Oakland Center's going, "Hey, you need to get below eighteen thousand feet." Um, I'm like, "Well, don't you handle the airspace when Joshua's not working it down there in the Owens?" And they said, "No." They said, it's, "You got to get below 18. I go, "So what? No one's airliners aren't allowed above eighteen in that." Joshua complex. He goes, no, it's going something. This is not right. I go, can you just verify that? He goes, let me check with my supervisor. So we're flipping along. I don't keep in mind. I don't want to get below 18 because he start getting into that rotor zone and, you know, and, uh, you know, it's pitch black outside. So he goes, yep. Sorry. Supervisor says you got to get below 18. So, you know, we're just kind of a bean Mount Tom. And I started just shoving the nose over descending and flying out of the wave. Well, flying into the Sierra out of the wave and then, got in the airspace just below airspace just below 18 and was able to stay out of the out of the bumps you know all the way down and then um you know made my first turn point down near in your hooked back north and that down was like to, a, no wait how far south did you get did you get just are about, you going off the sierras yeah we went down just in about them? south just about south of in, just about a beam in your so oh wow okay Whoa. so south of highway reservoir you know and uh you know, so we turned there, and that's kind of where the wave kind of shuts down because the mountains change direction. That you know, down further south, it takes more of a northwesterly flow. So the wave kind of shut down there. So I, I flew into a, a quite a big area of dead zone, like sink, sink, sink. And there's there's a point where you cry open. You go, okay, we got to turn back north, get back into the energy. Because if you if you fly too much into that sink, and then you turn northbound into the sink, now you're losing a lot of altitude, and the, you know, next thing you know, you're down. 13,000 feet and just getting, getting the crap beat out of you. So yeah. anyway, we turned back around and then about 450, you know, Joshua approach gets on the frequency. Hey, all our aircraft, Joshua approaches up, you know, you know, up, uh, up on frequency. So I call him, I said, Hey, look for my stage two clearance. He goes, you're cleared stage two, which gives me clearance up to 29,000 feet. So then I just climbed back up in the low twenties and then worked North and then, Right about a beam Mount Whitney is where the NVGs came off. That's where I didn't need them anymore. 
and that was it. That's what the sun's coming up. Yeah, God, it was just that all point. pink, and it was just, oh, it was man. insane, you know. What, what was it? So, what was it? What were you get? What was it blowing on Whitney? You think? Um, that day the winds aloft were. It was probably Whitney was probably forty knots, fifty knots on okay. on, on the peak because we we didn't see much up north. A uh, north arena, we saw about seventy knots, you know, okay. uh, of wind up up higher. But that day it was fairly fairly mild like i said earlier if you get too much too strong a wind it just it, it just Not doesn't fun. bode you know people think oh the stronger the wind the better the wave's going to be not necessarily you know they could be too too strong and i've had that happen and that really hampers your movement over the ground too you know i've i've been down near bishop where it's it's literally a hundred we had a hundred knots on the nose all the way to Minden, you know and you're going, how am I going to make ground speed? You know, you're doing 10 knots over the ground. You're watching the semi trucks freaking blown by you going up the 395 <laughs> past ma'am. This is embarrassing. You know? <laughs> so it just gets funky, you know? Well, you, you said it was kind of a five out of a 10 day, but was this nice wave? I mean, was it nice wave flying? It just wasn't the. Uh, it wasn't strong. Or, it wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't it wasn't the light your hair on fire type, you know, like the, the Owens okay. Valley. And I told Bruce, I said, man, this is not, this is, we we're having to change gears here where you're like, okay, let's slow up a little bit. You know, you, you got to slow okay. up, you know, there are bigger dead zones and hey, this is not, you can't just you know, rock it all day. I mean, there okay. are days where you're, you're, I mean, like I said, you, I mean, I'll get me in one's Valley at 18,000 feet and doing 140 knots indicated. And I get that lone pine. I'm at 26,000 feet, still doing 140 knots indicated climbing. It's just like, holy shit. It's almost, it's almost eerily strong, you know, where you go, it's just, this is just scary, you know, like, is this going to yeah. let me down, you know? <laughs> so, wow. and there's only so much, so fast you can fly before you start fluttering, you know? So uh, you don't want to, you don't want to get fluttered. And, and I, I'm, I'm sorry for the, the ignorance here, but as, as I understand, you know, wave kind of stacks on that. What makes wave is it stacks on top of itself. Correct. I mean, you, those of you listening can't see my hands, but it's kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of in a sense folding on top of, you know that's how you can kind of keep benching up, correct? Is that do I understand um, that right? No, if you if you picture um, like a, a like a, a a big rock in a stream, you will see that that water because water works just like air, right? So it's, you'll see that water flow over that rock and then downstream. If there's no other rock, it's just flat gravel bottom. You'll see those those uh, harmonics of of wave, and that's exactly how mountain wave sets up. So. So there will be a line, which is typically maybe half mile in width that you can work the leading edge of that, like, let's say there's lenticular, that wave will be, that lift will be on the leading edge or on the windward side of that lenticular cloud downwind of the mountain range. And that's typically, let's just say over the 395, you know, maybe five miles east of the spine of the, of the range for the most part. If you know where that wave is, you can really use that to an advantage, whether you're in a power plane or a glider, you know, I may mean, hear guys, they're, they're down. You can hear them just getting the shit knocked out of them. You know, they're talking to Joshua and they're in a Cessna or something going, man, I'm reporting severe turbulence. And, and I'm going, man, if this guy just moves upwind, you know, two or three miles, he can shut his motor down if he wants and fly the whole way, you know, all the way up in, in glass wow. through there. So, so on the backside of that, on the downwind side of that, you know, that, that air mass goes up, it's coming down equally as strong. So, um, that's what, that's, what's killed a lot of people, you know, or, you know, first of all, you get the downwash off the Sierra. If you're too close to the range, 
you'll just get that downslope wind that's just sometimes too strong for a, an average airplane to even outcline, out you know. And then you'll downwind of that, you'll have the 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 propagation of air mass going up in the in the primary wave, and then in between the up and the down part of the wave, you'll have the rotor up at kind of the ridge top level that is very very violent. But it won't it won't I, I guess maybe I wasn't describing it right or maybe I probably just lack of understanding, but it won't keep. So if you're looking at my hands here, that you know you get the wave coming off lee side of the of the Sierras. Yeah. That's what you're searching for. But couldn't you just you're flying north? Couldn't you just hang a ninety degree right and keep flying that wave in the Nevada, or I mean, just keep going east and keep keep going with that wave? Well, keep going with the harmonics. Well, yeah. If you yeah, if you commit to like a downwind flight, right? Which I which I've done. Yeah. You know, I, I I'll climb up in the primary wave here, get up to twenty eight thousand feet. And then go east. The typical, typically, those harmonics they'll start getting lower. Like the secondary wave, east of the primary wave, will be set up lower, and then they'll progressively get lower until it eventually dampens out. So, but yeah, I mean, uh, like going eastbound, what you'll try to do is or pick up different wave systems off of different mountain ranges, like the Toyabis or the Rubies, or you know, these big Pilot Peaks, you know north of Lovelock, you know, these ranges, sometimes you'll get, you'll get good wave off of those too. So you can get new primary waves. Exactly. So what you do is, you, yeah. The, so if you go downwind, yeah. you, you basically go downwind, the case of go just to sit as slow as you can, like minimum sink speed. So you're like at 50 knots. It's very comfortable. So you're not flying, you're not hauling ass, but your ground speed is because you got an 80 knot tailwind. So you're just clipping over the ground. And you're letting the wind kind of do the work. So you just kind of float downwind and then maybe try to fly 100, 150 miles downwind until you get to another big range. And then once you get downwind of that, you kind of feel it. And as you're going downwind, that variable can start going, dee, 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 you know, and like, oh, shit. And then you got to turn into the wind like really quickly because your ground speed's so flat fast. And you'll fly out of the wave really quickly. So once you turn into the wind, now you're zero ground speed again, kind of nibbling around, searching for the big stuff. And then once you find it, you stop. You just point into the wind and you got hopefully a zero ground speed and you go up like an elevator back up to 28,000 feet and then pff, turn down wind again. For another yeah, exactly. So, okay. So you're, the sun's coming up. You're over Whitney. That's beautiful. You've got, you've, you've been in the air, what, two, three, four, five, six. It gets pretty, pretty light. It gets light at five, I guess. In yeah, June, probably, uh, 530. Probably three, six. three hours. Uh, yeah. Three, yeah. Okay. Three, four hours, probably four hours. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So yeah. you're almost halfway through, right? Just what, getting what time did you land? You're just getting going. <laughs> yeah, we landed, I think, after sunset. Yeah, it was so it was, yeah, it was four hours in a in a seventeen hour. So we we still had thirteen hours to go. Yeah, it Yeah. Now, what it, do you guys do? Are you taking shifts? Are you taking naps or what how does this work? No, I stayed awake the whole time. What I try to do is um I tried to just kind of close my eyes, you know, in the airline world, you kind of learn to kind of take cat naps and, you know, th these little cat naps seem to, to work pretty well, but I turned the, the volume on the Vario up so I could kind of hear what's going because Bruce wasn't really aware of where to fly, you know, I'm like, yeah. and you can get yourself in a world of hurt, like so quick, you know, if you, t if you take your crab angle out, you know, on a South and Northbound track and, now, now, next thing you know, you're going down 2,000 feet a minute. You're going, dude, what happened? You know, so I, 
I, I just, I stayed awake the whole time, but I, I tried to practice. I closed my eyes and, and, you know, I was just listening to the Vario. And as soon as I would hear something, you know, like, oh, where's, where, what happened to the left? You know, I didn't you know, wake up and I never, never slept. I never got in a ram or anything like that, you know, but um, yeah. Yeah. You just drive and you just run on adrenaline, you know, how that goes. So and that's pretty much how it went, but it's funny. The mindset went from, okay, well, we'll, uh, you know, we can, I think we get a thousand kilometers, no problem, you know, so we're coming back like, ah, that's cool. You know, we'll get, we got a thousand kilometers done. And then we got north of Reno and too much moisture, uh, north of Reno and the wave got really soft. I'm like, okay, here we go south again. And so we ran back south and went pretty much ran back down to Inyo Kern and, and, uh, you know, nothing really, uh, it was nothing really hard, you know, other than the fatigue on the most of these legs and so we ran south again and yeah there was there was points where you're going man i'm dragging you know this is i'm hurting here i'm tired so we went back pretty much down the indian current came back north back up to reno i'm like okay shit if we can get a 1500 kilometers that'd, that'd be cool you know so we we tagged that you know we got that notch and so we went south again and and now it's like oh shit what are we we get 2000 kilometers that's that's pretty cool you know and uh that finally became what's your, av- what's your average what do you, what what what's the, your average speed uh for this for the for the entire flight we average 110 miles an hour so <laughs> so and it, you know on, on a less than stellar day you know it was it was, it was really really kind of weird but so that was a five uh that was a five turn point flight and uh, that's why it's not recognized by the IGC for uh, like a world record because it was, you know, we used more than three turn points, but it's recognized by OLC and then we glide. Um, so what was the total distance? 3,058 kilometers. So Klaus had done yeah. 3,008 kilometers. It was, was that 1900? That was 1900 statute, I think. That's what it comes out to. So, yeah. So that the, the, I mean, fast forward everything to the very last leg, it was like, Oh shit! I think we can get maybe three thousand k out of this thing. <laughs> so I'm like Bruce. Uh, I said, "Here's the thing." I said, "The wave's supposed to shut down." There's, there's, we saw all day that north of Reno, up in the, like near Susanville and that whole area, there was just a, a shit ton of moisture. And you go, there, "There's just no wave up there." And uh, so I, I figured we would have to stretch our flight. Our final leg would have to. We would have to get to like Alturas or Cedarville or somewhere up in that area. And I thought the likelihood of that was going to be so slim because, first of all, there there wasn't any wave forecast, and then secondly, there was so much moisture up there. So I, I told Bruce on our final leg up the Owens Valley, I said, "Let's just let's just get up. If we can get up to Reno, we'll just we'll just kind of feel it out. And if it's if it's shitty, we'll just come back and land. And you know, we, we will have gotten over twenty five hundred kilometers, which is pr- still pretty pretty freaking good. So so we get up." The last leg we get up. So now I'm start. I'm not tired anymore because I'm like, you know, I'm just, I'm like, this whole thing yeah, could become a reality. Now, now so you got a goal. Yeah. Oh, like, 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 now you're starting to wake up again. See, <laughs> like, you're on a mission now. So we get up to Reno and it's, it's very, very weak wave, you know, just so spotty. And SkySight, once again, was just working really well. There was, there were some markers. So I get just west of the Reno airport and I, I park and wave and I've got zero ground speed and, and I, I'm like Bruce start, start working the numbers. We need to figure out where we can go. And, uh, and he goes, okay. Um, I said, 
I think Alturas or Cedarville will get us over the 3,000 kilometer mark. He goes, yeah, I agree. I said, all right, start get, finding the weather. So we had a Stratus ADSB antenna and, and ForeFlight on the iPhone. So he starts getting getting all the weather for this place. He goes, well, it's, Alturas is calling, you know, 1,500 scattered, uh, eight, you know, 2,200 scattered, 3,000 overcast. And it's like, holy shit, man, there's a lot of weather out there. So like, what about Cedarville? He goes, no, there's no there's no AWOS for Cedarville. So there's no weather reporting there. So I figured I told, and I, I remember telling him, I said, Bruce, I said, typically east of that range of Cedarville, it's you're out in the desert. So it's kind of like all those mountains are holding the weather back. So it's, it will probably be clear in the Cedarville area. So my flight computer was saying, you know, from our altitude, there's no way we had it made, you know, we were going to, we were, we were way below glide. So I'm like, Oh shit. You know, if we can, if we can at least manage a lower sink rate, you know, maybe zero sink for a while, then we could maybe kind of get up to glide. So I called, I called Oakland center. I said, Hey, is there any chance I can get higher? He goes, no, unable, you know, trap due to traffic or something. I said, Hey, this, and I actually told him, I said, this, this could potentially be the longest glider flight in history. I mean, is there any, anything we can work at? You know, and he goes, standby, you know, he goes, all right, you cleared up to, got what it was two five oh or something so i just sat like one or two knots of lift just going shit, just climbing so slowly just milking everything i could and i got I was like, as high as i can i said all right we're out of here you know so we started what time of day is it now is it, it was like four probably five? six o'clock or six, six o'clock or, okay yeah it's getting yeah the sun angle's starting to get low but i'm going get mbgs right <laughs> round yeah. two on the mbgs so, <laughs> so like whatever and uh so we started making a run out to the northeast and and i saw a huge layer of undercast and i went um so we were headed out towards um uh in the direction alturas from reno so we kind of had a uh not, we had i don't, don't want to say quartering head when we were tracking about our heading was about three four zero and we're tracking about zero three zero you know because we've got about 80 yeah. knots of wind so so the winds weren't really hurting us too much but I started uh, kind of heading for this big undercast, which is I couldn't tell how far out from the distance it was and where we would be in relation to the undercast once we got there. But I go, Bruce, we can't fly. We're not flying through that. We're going to have to duck underneath that or, or pull the spoilers out. And, and I hope I was hoping we didn't have to do that. So I sent on this long kind of efficient glide out towards this undercast in the direction of Alturas. And we finally got to the undercast and we were maybe five miles from it. I go, fuck, this is going to work out perfectly. You know, I can just shove the nose over and we'll slide underneath it. I don't have to pull spoilers out and, you know, kill my glide to Alturas. So I shoved the nose over and I slid underneath this thing. And then it got pretty dark. And now there's this freaking snow showers left and right. And I'm just flying in between this stuff, trying not to get ice on the wings you know so i'm just kind of weaving away you get to do that (laughs) i'm weaving through this shit i'm weaving through this stuff and i'm going (laughs) yeah i said you know the fact that we're not doing a straight line i said this is this is hurting us you know and so um finally you know we get to we get to maybe 50 miles south of alturas and I, I can look off in the distance because it was hard to see because of all these snow showers. But I look off in the distance and I see this the sun hitting this big patch of ground. I'm like, oh, shit, that's nice. A big blue hole, you know. So I kind of headed for it. And I got in this big blue hole in this valley. And then I made a left turn towards directly towards Alturas. And we, now we're probably f- maybe 40 miles from Alturas. 
and I just hit a, I just, I came up to a wall of moisture all the way to the ground. I mean, I felt like I was flying on the East Coast or something because of all these different layers of clouds. And I went, yeah. Oh, no. I said, no. And, and the computer said, I'll never forget, it said 2,988 kilometers. I was 12 kilometers short of 3,000 K. And you're looking at this wall of moisture going, do, you know, you're kind of going, do I do it? Do I do it? And I go, I, I go, Bruce, we can't do it. We're, 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 we'll, we'll kill ourselves if we do this. This stuff's going on the ground, you know? And uh, I go, because I don't have pedo heat or anything, you know? So I'm going to lose all of my instruments with the icing if I fly into this stuff. And Bruce goes, well, it's only 30 miles. I go, we're done. We're, we, we can't do it. So I flipped a U-turn. You can see it on the trace. I sent you the Wee Glide um, link. But I yeah. did a complete U-turn. I said, put Cedarville in the, you know, in the computer. So we got that in the computer and said, we're like, 4,000 feet low, plus our direct line from our point there to Cedarville, we would have had to cross the entire range, mountain range, which, you know, it was, it was co-out. There's no way you could do that. And plus it was so much cloud cover. So I had to go yeah. south first and then go to the south end of that range over this big high plateau. So before I could start going east out towards the desert and to where the Cedarville Jeez, Valley is. So now my computer is giving me my straight line computation, but I'm having to go make this big chuck and jive around the south end of this range. So all my numbers are out to lunch. So I'm going, so I, I end up over this big plateau and I'm just kind of milking it going, holy shit, I don't know if I'm going to get over the ridge here, you know, because we had like 15 miles to go and I'm just a couple thousand feet over the, over this plateau and I'm just, just kind of milking it eastbound and, and I went, oh shit! And there was a field down there, like a farmer field. And I keep in mind, I, I, I've got the, I've got the engine, but will it's, you know, is it going to start? I don't know. You can't rely on it because you have to. First of all, you right. have to extend it, then you have to start it. You know, is it even going to start? Okay. So you can't really rely on that. But I see a farm field out there, and I once we got a beam, I go, "There's no way we could have landed there." <laughs> it was, it was a pipe beam, but I ended up seeing the when I saw the edge of the ridge and I, I kind of just eyeball, I said, Oh, I think we're going to make it. So we, we were able to cross over that ridge. And then once I got the sky started opening up a little bit more, and then I saw like a cumulus cloud over the Valley, about 30 miles South of 20 miles South of Cedarville, my computer still said 2,988 kilometers. So I hadn't, and I was pissed. I go, I'm going all this way east, but I'm not adding miles, right? I can't yeah, go north. Oh, no. so I'm going shit. So I, I go, Bruce, I'm gonna head for that that cloud. And uh and once I was able to see it, I go, shit, that's a rotor cumulant. That's a, like a rotor cue cloud that was associated with wave. And then I could see some ragged like wave that was setting up in the valley there. I went, shit, I think I can if I get underneath this cloud, I can work. So I get underneath this cloud and I'm maybe twenty five hundred AGL. And I still can't make Cedarville right, but there now there's a dry lake I can land on, which was wet. You know, the glider had been there for days, but I end up circling underneath this thing, and there's one knot, two knot, three knots left. Also, and I get up and then I push west of it into wave, and it goes lamer, and all of a sudden the barrier just goes, and I sort of press north, and the computer freaking finally numbers matched up for for Cedarville, and said you got it made. I'm like, holy shit. So I, I ran north in that wave on the east side of that Cedarville range. Yeah. I the name of the range, and I, I shot right over Cedarville. I go, that's, you know, by then it was already 3,030 kilometers or whatever, and went all the way north until I ran into freaking snow showers again, and then just, 
that was the that's where the distance was calculated all the way to that northern point. And then I turned south and came to Cedarville and and uh, and landed. And we had you know, three thousand fifty eight kilometers in bags. So we landed, and cops show up, and yeah. like, what the hell are these guys doing here? The guys on the phone going, "Yeah, that's one eight nine Delta Tango. I confirm he's landed at Cedarville." And, and I go, "What was he?" he goes, "That was the yeah. FA calling because they're wondering what they they thought you were landing at Alturas because that was the last thing I told them I was landing at Alturas, and you didn't." So the cops went to Alturas first. They didn't <laughs> see an airplane. It's just got planted in the mountain somewhere. So they go, shit, let's try Cedarville. So, <laughs> so, like, dude, can you help us push a glider out of the way? So we get out of this glider. We tie it down. I had some tie, some tie down rope and tied it down on the line. And, you know, now it starts kind of raining and drizzling. And and uh, the guys tried to hook us up with a motel. And there was nothing around. Everything was, you know, but now it's dark. And uh, so we showed up in these big goofy suits on these expedition suits. <laughs> Finally, we, we got some lady at the hotel to, or motel to open it open the door. She goes, yeah, I got one room left. And so we, uh, we got a room and then Bruce found some people, you know, a few doors down, they had a bottle of scotch and he bought a bottle of scotch. From him. He just got hammered that. It was a good time. He <laughs> didn't sleep obviously. Cause you're just fired. I was going to say, there's no way you slept even as, no. even as exhausted as you were, you must have been fired that off. That's yeah. amazing. So, I don't yeah. understand the 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 record thing. So it was the longest flight that's ever happened in a sailplane, but it's not a record because it can only be three points. Is that right? You yeah, that's that a right? max. That's a max that the IGC will. So uh, that's the maximum number of turn points that the IGC recognizes as three. So it's like it's unofficially gotcha. the longest. You know, Klaus Ullmann still has the world record for a three turn point, which is three thousand and eight kilometers. You know, so okay. gotcha. so I've got. I, I think that's very doable out of here. You know, so I've got. I was gonna say, if you had a five out of a ten day, yeah, Mm -hmm. that's insane. Yeah, you're in the air for how long? Seventeen? How much? Forty minutes. Yeah, seventeen, almost eighteen hours. So all night, you know, all day. um, So yeah, it just kind of gets you fired up and do more of this, and then I think we can do some big, massive triangles in the wave. You know, like fifteen hundred kilometer, almost two thousand kilometer triangle flight. You know, run from maybe here down to Inyo Kern and out towards Ely and then back up uh, towards Minden up to Susanville. And then, you know, so Inyo Kern your first turn point, Ely's your second, and then Susanville would be there, like your third turn point. And, uh, and are you the, working, you know, are you working with Rami? Are you working with a whole bunch of other Gary down in Albuquerque? Are no, you guys all no. kind of all working together or this is just your, your no, gig? No, it's just my gig, you know, cause not, not wow. like I said, not too many people are, are into this. I mean, some, some people are still, some people are starting to get a little more interested in it, you know, intrigued with it, with the wave stuff, but not to the extent that, uh, you know, they, they just, most guys just aren't into that. You know, I mean, most guys go, well, there's no way I could sit in, in, in a freaking cockpit that long, you know, and right. they're just not, they just right. don't want to. I'm not saying they couldn't, yeah. you know, it's just, they don't have the desire yeah. or, or will to, and right. and, you know, and I, I get it. That's, that's fine. You know, and it's just nothing, yeah. nothing wrong with that. It's just like they want to go, go to bed and sleep at night. I get it. <laughs> but, yeah, there's stuff that can be done, you know, try it, you know, and it, we got the weather here to do it. Yeah. Take advantage of it. So. Right. How would you, how would you do it with the three turn point thing? I mean, if you really, if you, um, um, so what, what, what's your vision now? What, what do you, well, what do you I do with this what, now? It's very doable. Is, so. The problem we have here in the Sierra with with waiver, kind of in this area, 
is that we're, we're, we're limited with north and south wise with wave because you get on the southern end of this uh, wave area, it starts to get too soft and the wave shuts down. If you get too far north, you know, typically will run into moisture. You know, you start getting oh. to that jet, jet axis. So whereas like Argentina, they, they have a much longer area of mountains, oh, you know, God. where they can run further north and south and, and that kind of thing. But I think gotcha. like with a turn, three turn point, um, like Klaus Ullmann's thing would be take off here, go down to Inyo Kern, up to Susanville, back down to Inyo Kern, and then you'd land up in, uh, you know, north of Casper, um, Wyoming, which is, uh, which is very, very, very doable. So if you take off here, like, like at 10 o'clock at night, and you get these, these legs done in, at night in, in, in a comfortable area geographic, because we're used to this area. And we're used to the wave working in this area and do all that stuff during the night hours. And then as the sun comes up, you, you fly and come up to Minden and, and then you start hitting off, heading off to the Northeast. Like what I do going downwind, you know, and then, you know, then you end up, it, then you end up on a downwind flight, you know, where you, you got that massive tailwind and you just, if you end up near like the Casper area, that would put you over the 3000 kilometer mark. So. And in the in the sailplane community, is there any poo-pooing? Oh no, that's but these guys are doing it at night. Or is there any uh, is um, there any friction there? Or is this just the whole community going? This is badass. This is really cool. <laughs> right now, I, th I think it's in the badass, uh, you know, uh, category. Yeah. I don't know cool. where it's going to go in the future. I, I you know, and, and what I tell everyone, it's like you know, whether this is a record, I don't, I don't, I can give a rat's ass. You know, it's more of you know, you're, you're opening up some boundaries, you're ex exploring new areas and, and you're utilizing technology and, and utilizing an air mass, whether it's working day and night, you know, it, it doesn't matter, you know, for, for a guy to go, well, right. he's doing it at nighttime. Well, sure. I'm, I'm not doing anything illegal. And if they say, well, you yeah. can't see a lot of the Europeans, they, the, the Germans, they cannot, even if they have a glider that's equipped, that's uh, equipped for night flight, they cannot fly a glider there at night. So all the Europeans right. think that my flight was not a record because I did it, you know, a certain number of hours at night. And they they don't have that luxury that we have. And I even emailed IGC and the uh, the IGC folks about it. And the guy goes, Oh no, he goes, You're as long as you comply with the rules of your country, you're legal to do whatever. Because you're mm. you're thinking night that that would invalidate your flight. He goes the fact that you use more than th three turn points does you know. So yeah. I mean right. I could have used okay. three you know. So anyway that that's that's where we are with that whole thing. But people are very fascinated. I think the Germans you know that I did a few test flights at night and I just posted it and just people went nuts like well, what the hell this guy's flying a glider before this three thousand kilometer flight even came about. The Germans were calling me asking for you know, interviews to, to write articles just about night flight, you know, in a glider with night yeah. vision goggles because they were so intrigued by that. Like, holy shit, this is pretty wild. This is like James Bond stuff. And so. It is James Bond stuff. So, again, since I've been following you and watching your pictures and videos, it's just fully James Bond, man. You're 007 out there. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool. So it's neat that, you know, I haven't gotten much, uh, I've gotten any friction at all. You know, I haven't heard anything, Good. anything negative, you know, whether social media or just word of mouth. I haven't heard anything like, oh, this guy's cheating or I mean, there's, listen, I'm not, cool. I'm not breaking any rule. You know, I'm just, I'm doing everything in, in 
whether people like it or not, I'm just going to keep doing it. I think it's cool. And I think shit, yeah, your mass cool. is going up at night, use it, you know, and that's what I'm doing. Yeah. And I've got to luckily have uh, the capability to do that. So, but you know, when it, you know, with the, with the record thing, I don't know if there's nothing, I mean, if there's a record done, I, I know people need to start looking, you know, because Klaus Ullmann, I think he was, he's, he saw this nighttime stuff and I think he's starting to, you know, Sniff there, there's probably some, some stuff that he's trying, probably trying to work on. Cause there was a, I sold Dennis Tito's other artists and uh, I got a call from a guy down in Argentina. The guy was, you know, like, uh, I said, what do you, what do you want to do with the glider? He goes, we'll close home. <laughs> she wants me to buy it. So it's like, you know, <laughs> so I mean, you know what, what he, what he's doing over there or the cool. mad and stuff is yeah. just so cool. You yeah. Know, have you heard, have you uh, it, heard of Baptiste Innocent, uh, the French guy? He's doing, no. he's, he was doing that stuff over the mad. He did some big, big flights, um, big triangle flights where he, he launched from, uh, the Alps and then crossed over to, uh, what was the Island down there in Med and then jumped Socorro. off. In, yeah. Then jumped off, uh, downwind into, uh, Croatia and then flew Ridge and thermal left back. I, to I did. I did hear about bottom. that. Sorry. I was, I was confusing him with Klaus, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's yeah. remarkable. You know, it's yeah. just so cool that, you know, the Red Bull X Alps, it takes us 12 days to do that whole range and you guys do it in a day. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, really, but it's really just, awesome. No, I think, I, I think what you guys are, that's pretty, cool i'm just sitting on putting my ass in the seat for 17 hours you guys are walking doing all this crap you know well, yeah it's vicious it's vicious um, but it's it it's it, super inspiring I, I really appreciate what you're you know you're pressing into because it's uh yeah, it's new boundaries know, it feels kind yeah. of apollo-ish man yeah i mean it feels it feels yeah yeah it feels that that you're you're opening new lines which right. is kind of what this thing's been about for a long time you know we're trying to find lines that are cool mm-hmm. that are ascetic and that are yeah, yeah that are pushing the boundaries one 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 final question here I, just because you know we don't think like you do as pilots when it comes to landing because we can land anywhere mm-hmm. um i know that's not the case with sailplanes but it's kind do you do you get when you've flown as long as you have and you have the experience that you have does your threshold for safety keep dropping? Because, you know, you, you're, I've got the experience. I could figure this out. You know, I'm, I'm going for this big distance or do you really just have to keep a really reason? I mean, it sounds like you kind of, the margin got a little soft there at the, at the end of that lat, you know, the, your big one, but. You know, yeah, it, 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 it does. I think you, you have to know your own limits. Yeah. You know, no, now on that, on that big flight could, you know, I could have just said, well, I don't want to get my 3000 kilometers pushed right into the moisture and gone for Alturas and probably, probably not been talking to you right now, you know, but th- yeah. th- I think there's, there's a point where you do get to that limit. And it's funny because that, that, that flight, I ta- you, you, you get to that point, you know, and, and everyone that's done these, you know, these big things, you, sometimes you get to that point, you go, do I cross that line? You know, if I cross it, I might be paying dearly for this, you know, is this worth it? You know, and, and, and you know, and I think my experience in the military and, and the airlines, there, there's a, a safety aspect that you, you, you put in there, you go, this, this is nothing's worth this. You know, it's just, it's ridiculous. I, I don't want to be the guy that go, what was the guy, that guy was an idiot. What was he thinking? You know? Yeah. So I, I mean, there's, there's a certain, 
you know, I don't want to say I'm, 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 I'm not reckless by any means, but I always, I always have an, an out. If, as long as you have an out, you know, like, okay, well, I can land at that field because Minden's got too big of a crosswind. I'll go downwind. I'll land in Hawthorne into the wind on the runway, you know. Then, then, then that's a good. You have to have those options. You know, you have to have those those alternatives. And if if you don't if you don't have an out, then it's kind of foolish flying. It's just, it's just like flying a flying a glider and just leaving an area of lift and going. Okay, I'm going to go for that cloud. And if I if there's no lift there, there's no place to land. I'm breaking the glider. That to me, that's foolish. I just I never fly that way. You know, even yeah. if I have an engine, because yeah. I don't rely on that engine to start. It might not start. So. Gotcha. I, I think I'm fairly safe in my thinking. You know, are you? Are you're definitely taking more risk, you know, doing that type of flying than I'm than thermal flying because of the elements you're dealing with. It's just that's just the sure. nature of the beast, you know. It's just like climbing K2 versus you know some other some smaller peak. There's just certain certain amounts of yeah. uh, elements of risk you have to put up with, you know. But sure, you know, the safest possible way you can do it. So that's the way to do it. So. Yeah, we got to get you down here. I think it'll. Uh, I Gordon, yeah, I'm, I'm coming, man. I, cool. I, if, if if you're if you're if you're sincere about the offer, you I, just I give really me a shout. I will. Uh, I will come. I, this has been amazing. Uh, thank you for your time. I, I told you in the beginning welcome. we were going to go for about an hour. We're getting close to two. So excellent. <laughs> the whiskey's been delicious. Uh, you've That's been right. incredibly entertaining and. Thank you, sir. And I'll be I'll be watching you and I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you, Gavin. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, bud. Nice talking to you. If you find the cloud-based mayhem valuable, you can support it in a lot of different ways. You can give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher or however you get your podcast. That goes a long ways and helps spread the word. You can blog about it on your own website or share it on social media. You can talk about it on the way up to launch with your pilot friends. I know a lot of interesting conversations have happened that way. And of course, you can support us financially. This show does take a lot of time, a lot of editing, a lot of storage and music and all kinds of behind the scenes cost. So if you can support us financially, all we've ever asked for is a buck a show. And you can do that through a one-time donation through PayPal, or you can set up a subscription service that charges you for each show that comes out. We put a new show out every two weeks. So, for example, if you did a buck a show and every two weeks, it'd be about $25 a year. So way cheaper than a magazine subscription, and it makes all of this possible. I do not want to fund this show with advertising or sponsors. We get asked about that uh, pretty frequently, but I for a whole bunch of different reasons, which I've said many times on the show, I don't want to do that. I don't like having that stuff at the front of the show. And I also want you to know that these are authentic conversations with real people. And these are just our opinions, but our opinions are not being skewed by sponsors or advertising dollars. I think that's a pretty toxic business model. So I hope you dig that. Um, you can support us. If you go to cloudbasedmayhem.com, you can find the places to support. You can do it through patreon.com forward slash cloudbasedmayhem. If you want a recurring subscription, you can also do that directly through the website. Uh, we've tried to make it really easy, and that will give you access to all the bonus material, little video casts that we do and extra little uh, nuggets that we find in conversations that don't make it into the main show, but we feel like you should hear. We don't put any of that behind a paywall. If you can't afford to support us, then just let me know and I'll set you up with an account. Of course, that'll be lifetime and hopefully in a, you're being in a position someday to be able to support us. But you'll find all that on the website. 
uh, all of you who have supported us or even joined our newsletter or bought cloud-based mayhem merchandise t-shirts or hats or anything you should be all set up you should have an account and you should be able to access all that bonus material now thank you so much for listening i really appreciate your support and we'll see you on the next show thank you